Welcome back to What You'll Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. We just interviewed Brian Wansink, the author of Mindless Eating and Slim by Design and a whole bunch of sick studies about how you can eat less without effort for all you lazy bastards who want to lose weight <laughs> but don't want to do it by depriving yourself. It's, it's a good idea. It's, a, it's crazy how such small, insignificant or seemingly insignificant things can have such a big impact on our weight You know, by the end of the year. Small, tiny tweaks that we don't even realize that are helping us eat healthier and eat less. So Brian Wanswick, he's great. He's a big thinker. He's had a big influence on the world in terms of behavioral economics and food. I hope you guys enjoy listening as much as we did speaking to him. And we'll get into the interview now with big Brian. I'd like to start with just my own story over the last 12 months. I, I don't know how it happened, but I've managed to put on 10 kilos and I'd just like to ask you if <laughs> your eyes are just going up. So I've really stacked them on. And I really don't know why. I feel like I haven't changed a hell of a lot. But if you were a betting man and the way most people stack them on without even realizing, realizing it, what do people normally do to put on so much weight? Mm. You know, usually it's one of two major categories of things. Either... And this first one wouldn't be you, but either you just throw in the towel for whatever reason. You know, your uh, your, your fiance dumped you, or uh, something went wrong. Whatever you say, hey, it's just not worth it. You know, I'm throwing in the towel. And, and, and fortunately, for most people, that's not doesn't last a lifetime. It's a, it's a short period of time. But then that's one general category of things. But the second thing is a really interesting deal. And it's what influences most of us is that some little thing goes awry in our lives. And that could be, I don't know, you hurt your Achilles tendon or you, 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 you've been lifting weights a lot. and Oh, God, you hurt your shoulder and you can't really get back into, into exercising like you thought. Or it might be something that uh, some, something goes wrong in some other um, in some other way, but but a, a fairly minor thing, and that's then what leads a person again not to throw in the towel, but just in a small way to do something like, oh hey, you know, uh, uh, you know, hey, you know, I really like cold. I haven't eaten cold cereal for a long time. I really, you know, I like cold cereal in the morning. Yeah. I like that third, second or third or fourth bowl, and all of a sudden, within really just two or three weeks of reminding yourself what that experience is like, it becomes a part of your pattern, and that's. Usually, uh, that's what happens in in the cases where people, when when they can't really specifically diagnose it. Nice. When I was uh, I was reading your books, Mindless Eating and Slim by Design. There's a few examples of foods that I was just not familiar with at all. One of the most disturbing ones for me was called Hamburger Helper, which uh, we don't have here, but I, uh, so I had to Google it. And so it was like macaroni and cheese, which is already pretty bad, but it's got cheeseburgers crumbled into it. So I thought that was bizarre. I don't know if that's just a, an American thing, but it sounds like you guys have got some serious, serious food over there. <laughs> Coming from the guy who probably had Vegemite this morning for breakfast, <laughs> right? <laughs> or Martin. <laughs> yeah, we, we've got some really, really strange things. But the thing is, the thing is with Hamburger Helper, and it, this, this isn't uniquely American, but it's become much more that way, is that this idea of the one-dish meal is what made things like Hamburger Helper so, so popular. It's this sort of thing like a, a tater tot casserole or something where you're mixing hamburger and green beans and a can of soup and you have one thing it's got like three quarters of all your food groups in there and it's a one dish meal and hamburger helper 
uh, was the first American thing to make it really easy. You take out your box of stuff. It's got pasta in it. It's got a little bag of flavoring. <laughs> and you just add it to a, ham- a, a pound of hamburger. So, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's cool. But a, a lot of cultures have the same thing, you know. Um, you know, you know, Scotland has haggis, which is kind of hamburger helper in a cheap stomach. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably the next level. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think uh, yeah, Australia's not much different. Something that's really taken off this year was the halal snack pack over the last 12 months. It's just basically a whole bunch of cheese with chips, a little bit of meats, um, all the garlic sauce, sauce yeah. barbecue sauce. It's one of my favorite foods. <laughs> As I'm saying this, maybe this explains my 10 kgs. <laughs> but that's all right. <laughs> that's okay. So I guess the, the way the world is now, you know, we are getting fatter as a, as a whole. So with your work, how is it different to traditional dieting with your philosophies toward, uh, I guess, losing weight and eating better? You know, dieting works great for the 5% of the population. You can actually do it for more than uh, the temporary amount of time. The thing is, for most of us, our lives are just too crazy. They're filled with, you know, 15 things in our to-do list when we get home. They're filled with interruptions like a lot of the ones that that happen to us every day. And for us to, you know, eat a a pea and taste it and kind of uh, then eat the second pea it's it's a great way to enjoy food. It's a great way to eat less, but it's just not practical for us. And so my philosophy has been we need to set things up in a way that actually mindlessly help people eat less without having to mindfully think about every bite. And for most of us, that's most more consistent with our lives. You know, we won't eat perfect. We won't enjoy our food as much, but we'll do it and it'll get us back to where we want yeah, fantastic. There's a, a whole bunch of um, different diets and different hacks and you know the 10-day the cleanse and, and so on. One that uh, came up on our podcast, uh, we were talking about the magician Penn Jillette uh, who lost a hell oh, of a yeah. lot of weight and uh, oh, all he did was... he's a cool guy. He is a very cool guy and all he did oh, was uh, he ate potatoes for a month. That was all he did was eat potatoes and he said that was his way of just breaking all the bad food habits he created. What do you think about just eating potatoes yeah. for a month? Well, you know, the thing about any of these sort of shock measures, you know, you could say, oh, I'm going to be going on the ice cream diet. I'm only going to eat ice cream for a week or <laughs> that potatoes like an awesome or whatever. Diet. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think it probably is for the first two-thirds of a day. <laughs> yes, totally. <laughs> just like, oh, God. Uh, but the thing about most of those is regardless of what they might do for your health, and let, let's say independent of whether you lose weight doing it or not, what it does is it does – shock you into realizing what you need and what you don't need, what you sort of treasure and what you don't really treasure. And if you're in the process of just eating all sorts of garbage all the time, once you go on any of these sort of shock diets, like the only, you know, soup for a week or whatever, even after two or three days, you clearly say, you know, I love coffee or candy or whatever. So that's the, that's the thing about these these shock diets is what they usually do is they peak our awareness about some of the things that we're doing that we otherwise wouldn't be aware of. And what it does is it allows a real nice opportunity for a course correction when we come back and sort of break the fast. Mm. Amazing. On that 31st day when we don't eat potatoes <laughs> anymore. <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah. Amazing. So I guess um, with 
some of your strategies as you outlined before. It's a little bit different to the traditional dieting. It's all about setting up um, the spaces around you so you can unconsciously and let the irrational parts of you actually just eat a little bit, little bit better. Um, a lot of people probably wouldn't think that they're irrational and and can be can manipulate themselves and set things up like you suggest. So uh, I'd like for you to just talk about how we might be irrational in, in our eating choices and how we can use that for our, our benefit. Oh, you know, that that's a great question. Well, one of the things we used to do is after after we do a bunch of studies, we'd ask people, quite, you know, we'd show that, I don't know, they, they poured more, you know, alcohol into a short fat glass than a tall skinny one or that they ate more from a candy dish that was sitting on their desk but opaque versus far away. Once we'd show people how much of an impact this had on them, you know, eating 30% more or whatever. It was interesting now out of everybody we talked to about about 6% of people would say, oh, my gosh, that's incredible. I, I, I can't believe that I did that. Yeah, okay, okay, yeah. And they would change things. About 15% would say, you know, I can see where that would happen. I'm sorry, about 25% rather would say, you know, I can see where that could happen to other people, how they could get fooled by a candy dish being close by or – <laughs> or pour too much in a short, short white glass, but <laughs> that wouldn't happen to me. <laughs> and then the, the remaining about 70% would say, you know, that's not going to happen to anybody who isn't just a total bozo, a total idiot. So no, that would never happen to anybody in the world, you know, let alone myself. And the fact that about 93 to 95% of the population believes it doesn't happen to them is really why these things end up having such a major impact on us. It's because we want to think we're smarter than the bowl that's sitting on the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fantastic. So in your in your book, uh, Slim by Design, we sort of, you sort of applied how can some of these studies that you've done and the things that you found, how can we actually apply them to our lives? And one place was like the home and specifically the kitchen. So what are some of the, yeah. the small things that we can do to say our, our kitchen or our home that we might not think would make such a big difference but have a surprisingly large impact on what we do and donate. Yeah, well, there's tons of things that we can do that will influence a person who's more of a meal binger, for instance, they overeat meals, than if they're like a, a frequent snacker, okay? But some things that influence like everybody to some extent is the food that's sitting on a counter. So we did this kind of cool uh, study where we went to – uh, maybe about 240 American households, and we filmed, we, we took photos of everything in the kitchen, everything. And we weighed people, and we looked at what correlated with their with their weight, with their BMI. And, and what we found was that if somebody had, uh, uh, if they had a fruit bowl anywhere on the counter, if they had a piece of fruit anywhere in the in the whole place, on average they weighed about eight pounds less, about three and a half kilos less than the, the exact person next door who didn't have a fruit bowl out. Well, if you want to eat better, if you want to weigh a little bit less, it's probably a good idea to have a fruit bowl. But then we also found that um, people who had a box of cereal visible, breakfast cereal, you know, pre uh, 
any kind of breakfast cereal sitting out anywhere that was visible, they weighed on average about 20 pounds or about, you know, eight kilos more than the neighbor next door who didn't have it. Because the thing is, you walk by a box of cereal and you're like, you know, I'm, you know, I mean, we're all, we're almost all of us could convince ourselves we're hungry at any moment of our lives. It's like, look, you know, there's a nice box of cereal. There's a beautiful smiling woman on it with perfect teeth and happy. It's like, well, how much could this hurt? It's got vitamins and minerals in it. <laughs> so, and so I think so one thing, one thing we found is that this, this, and it's backed by a lot of other things we did that simply clearing all the food off your counter except for full ends up being a tremendous thing. And then we've also found some, even with fruit bowls, we found that fruit bowls are really super effective if they're within about an arm's length away, within about with about two thirds of a meter um, from a well-traveled part of your kitchen. They tend to people tend to eat a lot more. And if there's at least two or more different types of fruits, an orange and a banana or apples and grapes, it gets more of a pickup too. So that's uh, that's one thing. I understand you got a whole bunch of recommendations in your book. Can you? Is there anything else we can do also to, around the house to uh, help me lose these 10 kgs? <laughs> yeah, so, so a couple other things that would be pretty, that, that would be pretty easy that I mean, some some things might be kind of obvious, uh, but the things that would be non-obvious, we found that, and I did this with a with a postdoc, who was a postdoctoral fellow who's with me here at Cornell, and he's now actually a professor in Australia, and we did something where we where we we cluttered up the room, you know, made it really cluttery, like like a lot of kitchens are, you know, um, and we had we had kind of a you know, newspaper sitting on the table and, we had, you know, dishes in the dish rack. We had stuff out and the chairs were a little, you know, like, a, you know, out and we, you know, silverware laying around. And we found that when we did that, people were much, much more likely to, to snack if they were in the kitchen than if it was a nice, neat kitchen. So in both cases, we had we had snacks, just really tempting snacks, just sitting on the table. But in one case, we also just had the mail laying on the table, and we had papers over here, and the phone is ringing, and all this other garbage is going on. And it's simply that we believe that this, if you are primed with the idea that everything in the world is out of control, it's like, why do I need to be in control? I mean, everything else in this place seems to be a chaos. And we, we found actually it's kind of cool we did this other thing related to it where we said, well, if it's this feeling of chaos or this feeling of, of being unsettled that can cause a person to like, ah, I forget, I'm just going to grab some cookies or whatever. What if we put, put somebody in a, a state where they're really calm? And so we kind of had, did this somewhat of a meditative thing before people were in this environment. We had them kind of effectively meditate and think of a time when they were in control and things were peaceful. And and we found that if we do that to a person, they're not hardly influenced at all by the mess. But wow. the, the whole fact is, you know, we can't go into a meditative state every time we walk into the kitchen. It's a whole lot easier. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. Just clean up. So, like yeah, yeah, yeah. So all the people who like meditation and like us for this mindfulness kind of go, oh, therefore, ah, uh, yes. Yes, I see. <laughs> I'm about this. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, 
And she's like, well, literally, just just put the dishes away, okay? And don't, you know, you know and don't leave your mail on the counter. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. One of the uh, other recommendations, so you had like a, a scorecard in Slim by Design that we could score ourselves. And one of the big ones that you said was um, don't have a microwave, which I think is a pretty uh, pretty different thing. I think almost every kitchen probably has a microwave. Can you tell us about why they're, they're so so bad for us? Oh, yeah. No, I actually, we, we would never, yeah, I, I, that's sort of, uh, you know, when you're listening to 100 things, as people want to get super serious about it. It's only because it makes things so super convenient to, to kind of do the wrong thing, you know. Um, so, I mean, we actually have our, our microwaves actually, in, it's actually in the laundry room. Um, it makes you just a little less likely to kind of go, what, what is it that I can warm up right away versus what is it that I might be able to just cook? But that's, that, that's crazy serious. I wouldn't, wouldn't recommend. In the same way, in the same way we found that it's been suggested in some cases that some colors can end up influencing whether you're down or whether you're up. And, but, you know, God forbid the person who kind of goes and says, you know, I want to repaint the entire kitchen because i might eat three calories less every day so, <laughs> you know, some of these things it's yeah it's okay but it's, it's just not practical and that's what all, all of our research has tried to focus on what are the things that could practically be done N- not that would work once in some crazy lab study but would work practically for 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 adam um every day without him having to worry about it no i'll give you let me give you an example so this is kind of funny. This is uh, maybe seven or so years ago. I got a call from a journalist who had covered some of our stuff in the past. He says, hey, I'd like you to comment about this new study that came out. And, uh, the, <laughs> and the new study showed that um, if you took it, it took it took a bunch of people, of course, in a lab situation, not in a real environment, and it, it gave them you know, a fork and it had them eat. They were instructed every time after they took a bite of whatever it was, pasta or whatever it was, they had to set the fork down and like count to ten or something before they could pick it up again. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 she said she tells me the study and she goes, she goes, guess what happened? I go, oh, people ate less. She goes, how did you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, see, and I said, well, I said, well, people ate less for the one time they ever did it because because no no one's going to do that a second time so it's it's one of these examples where oh here's a great solution it's just that doesn't work in real life because that's not the way real people want to live yeah absolutely i like it and uh yeah as we're sort of talking about it i know that uh you know these sort of social science and and studies and things like this uh you've been in a little bit of um controversy lately um what sort of what's sort of going on in yeah. in your world at the moment we don't, we don't know a hell of a lot about it but we're um, yeah the twitter trolls are out and about that's for sure oh yeah yeah well a while back maybe uh, maybe a couple of years ago some some people came and they said hey wait a minute there's some irregularities in some of uh, the statistics in some of your papers and we we're kind of shocked like how could that be but you know we have like Probably about ten people come through here every year from different countries, different things. And it's like, well, you know, something could have slipped through the cracks. Well, we found a bunch of things where there's small changes, and fortunately, in none of the cases I'm aware of, it changed the conclusions of anything. But you know, it did sort of. It was a lot of egg in my face because, you know, it showed that 
some of the things weren't as tight as maybe they should have been. That maybe we got too enthusiastic about doing too many cool studies, and we got too enthusiastic about our mission, and maybe not about dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's. Mm. Yeah, and in terms of um, for for me, it's sort of looking at it, if something. I suppose maybe this is just me very individual. I suppose like the the academic rigors of, of everything, it needs to be super, super serious. But for me, probably looking at it, it's more sort of like if there's something cool, small and easy that I can do, like having a, a, a tall, skinny glass as opposed to a short, <laughs> fat glass uh, or just doing something small that maybe kickstarts a different way of eating or a different way of looking at it and maybe one small change can lead to a bigger change. It, it seems like a, a positive thing to me. Yeah, you know, that's a good thing to, to point out because I think we, we see things kind of from two different perspectives. One is 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 this that you know for most social science it, it doesn't work for everybody, but if something like this works for you, you try it. And most of the stuff that we look at, it, it won't work for hundred percent of the population. But the thing is you try it out and if you give it an earnest attempt, you kind of go, you know, I put a fruit bowl out and it didn't work. Well great, then don't have a fruit bowl. Um as we as we wrap it up toward the end, what's what are some of the books that have been really influential on you in your career? So it doesn't necessarily have to oh, be yeah. health, but things that have really helped you along professionally. There's one book, and this is the most amazing book in the world. Okay, I, I read this when I was in 1979, when I was 19 years old, and it it transformed my life. Okay, and I've read it probably. 45 times since then. And it's a book by a guy whose name is David Schwartz, and it's called The Magic of Thinking Big. And I, what's interesting about this is um, I, I, I grew up in kind of a, a whatever, a maybe lower income sort of family. And you, need, you don't really have that much of a vision as to what your life can be other than maybe what your parents' life is and the people on your, in the same block. And I read this book and I thought, holy goodness, I mean, I can – I could do this stuff. I, I, I could do this. I, I, I could, you know, I could wear a suit to work. I get, wow, that is crazy thinking. But I'd read it over and over and over again. And it's interesting about um, uh, five years or so ago, I, I have uh, my, my lab and part of my lab is students and part of it's other people. And I took all these undergraduate students. I thought, you know, for one semester, we're going to, I'm going to buy everybody this book and we're going to read it, a new chapter every week for class and discuss it. And there's 12 people in my lab. And I was kind of shocked that every week we'd come back and I'd say, what do you think about it? And about a third of the people would say, you know, like, eh, whatever. Okay. And they'd pick it. So they'd pick an example being old or nerdy or whatever. And about a third of the people would say, well, this is, this is just, this is just garbage it's just obvious stuff whatever you know it's I, i've known this is obvious but the other third would say holy goodness you know I, I i learned this or this i never thought about this and it was a powerful book because not everybody needs to know some stuff and some people might have been fortunate you know what do they say uh, a member of the uh, uh you know a lucky a lucky club where this stuff is obvious because of the way things their parents taught them or stuff. But for most of us, um, it was incredibly powerful. Mm-hmm. And I think it's continued to have an impact on me. Probably will for the next 
40 years. To read a book 45 times must be uh, one hell of a book. It was one of the very, very, very (laughs) first books we did for the podcast. He's got it on the table there. No, well, this is this is. I mean, this this is this is probably the fiftieth copy I bought for myself. Wow! See, it looks like it still looks hanging like, on. Heck, and you can see I underline things in different colors and yeah, they're just in different colors because at the time I picked up a pen, a different colored pen was sitting there. But, yeah. yeah, there's no code to it. You can see that all sorts of uh, oh yeah notes written. Yeah, yeah. So anyway. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's the one that's had the biggest. So, what what's one that somebody's mentioned to you in the past that you thought was a pretty surprising book? Uh, I think almost all the time we we hear surprising ones. I reckon about half the books we've read, and then half the books we haven't read. So there always there's always something different. We uh we interviewed Dan Ariely about twelve. Oh yeah, 12 I know Dan real well. Now. And he when we were talking to him, he actually um, mentioned yeah, a, a book. A guy, yeah. He mentioned a book you might have heard of. It's called Mindless Eating. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's funny. So, but he's 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 like the smartest guy in marketing. He's unbelievable. The, the guy is just incredible, like in all ways. Yeah, yeah we ended up, We actually went to the ballet with him when he was in Sydney and got kebabs. We're out of, a little bit out of depth in conversation because, as you said, he is incredibly intelligent, but he's a great oh. guy, really. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, you know, I so I read this book like like I said in '79, and I, um, and and I it, it made I, I ended up going to college and I graduated, and I, I gave this all the credit, and I and I wrote the guy when I graduated from college, this is maybe '82 or so. I wrote him this really, really a big, big, long letter thanking him for everything that he'd done for me, and. I got I got something I didn't get anything back, but I found out later that he had he had just died like two years earlier. So anyway, yeah. So just as the the last question, Brian, thanks so much for your for your time. It's been a, been great to chat to you. What uh, what are you up to now? What's uh, what's on for you next? Um, oh, hey, this is what are the next projects? Yeah. So this is super cool. So I, I uh, I'm a big believer that in in doing really easy quick. So like with with the smarter lunchroom movement, we said, look, there's a lot of changes that can be made in lunchrooms right away that help kids eat better that don't entail grants or legislation or whatever. You know, you just put the healthiest food first and kids will take more of that than if it's third and just all sorts of things like this. And I think the lowest hanging fruit that exists currently that could help out a lot of our Western cultures – um, is um, uh, increasing the frequency and quality of the interactions at family meals. Not, not forget the food, but just increasing the frequency that we eat food together as a family because I think it's a source of a lot of people feeling disconnected, a lot of kids feeling alienated, a lot of parents feeling unappreciated, a lot of people just feeling ornery. And I think, well, the research shows that it's also related to people eating better and eating healthier if they eat together as a unit, regardless of whether that unit be eating together at McDonald's or at home or or uh, eating falafels at the ballet or, or, whatever, <laughs> or kebabs or whatever. <laughs> That's it. And, and, and I think there's some easy things that can be done. And in working together with a lot of different groups, I'm going to be um, – trying to pull together some resurgence of this this notion of a of the family meal just initially just bumping it trying to bump it up a little bit and making that more and more and more 
So that's what I'm going to be focusing on. Uh, right now, I've got some other stuff I'm kind of working on, but starting in June, that's when I'm going to turn to uh, just with a lot of focus. I don't think there's any better ROI in the world than books. For 25 bucks and a few hours, you can actually access someone else's whole life learnings in whatever field they may have. I mean, we were to speak with Brian Wansink, who has really focused his whole life on eating and how you can eat better and lose weight. So if there's anyone out there who you think can really benefit through the world of books or that you think our podcast can help them in what they want, then do us a favor and do them a favor and share the show because the world would be much better if there was more reading books and less watching TV.